You're listening to the teaching ministry of Discovery Church in Bristol, Tennessee. For more information about Discovery, or for more free audio content, please visit discoverybristol.com. Well, uh, the Gregory House is decked out and ready to go for Christmas. Uh, Our Christmas tree, when you turn it on, uh, the room, the temperature of the room goes up by three degrees. That's how many lights I have on it. And I know this because it's really close to our thermostat, so I get to measure. Uh, But we have had just a, a steady stream of Christmas movies as well. And here's what I've noticed watching Christmas movies during this time of year is that Christmas movies tend to follow a sort of pattern or a theme. Usually you have some sort of main character who might be having a crisis or they might be a curmudgeon or something like that. And so they might feel that they're alone, that their life is hopeless. They might, um, they might just be struggling with things. They might hate Christmas. And then some other character comes in, sometimes a normal person, oftentimes a magical, mystical type of person, and they help the other characters set things straight. For instance, George Bailey on the bridge. George Bailey feels hopeless. He feels like he's uh, better off dead than alive. He's ready to end it all. And then out of the blue comes Clarence Oddbody, who jumps in the water knowing that George would save him, right? So that's one idea of this theme. We see the Grinch. The Grinch is alone. The Grinch hates Christmas, right? But then the Grinch has an interaction with Cindy Lou Who, and she shows him that Christmas is more than packages, boxes, and bags, right? We've got Ebenezer Scrooge, the original of this Christmas pattern, who he is so greedy, so selfish, hates everybody, has blocked everybody out. And then Jacob Marley comes back from the dead to tell Scrooge, if he doesn't get his life right and get on the right path, he's got a terrible fate awaiting him. Kevin McAllister, the kid wished his family away, right? And he gets what he wished for. But then in a church as he's running, who does he meet? But the South Bend shovel slayer, who shows him the importance of family, right? And sets Kevin back on the right track. And last but not least, we've got John McClain trying to liberate Nakatomi Plaza, right? And who does he meet other than the one and only Carl Winslow and helps him talk him through all the vents and all of that stuff. Great Christmas movie. There's a pattern in these Christmas movies. Somebody needs help and then magically someone else or something else appears to help them find the true meaning of Christmas and get everything right. And as I've watched these movies and TV shows and all this, I can't help but feel it's just a little lazy, right? We keep coming up with the same story over and over and over again. And to be honest, it's not real, right? It's not realistic. When I watch these movies, I tend to think like, man, I'd love, you know, a guardian angel to go ahead of me. I'd love a visit from somebody beyond the grave, which sounds weird. But if they know what my future looks like, I'd love to hear that so that I could follow the right path. And so as we read this, we tend to think or read this, as we watch these movies, I tend to think it's a little bit lazy. But then when I look at the Christmas story, and as I went through the story of Joseph for this week, I couldn't help but realize Joseph's story a little bit follows the same pattern. Maybe that's where all these Christmas movies got the idea from. So let's open our Bibles to the book of Matthew, which that just feels good to say, right? After a year of being like, book of Mark, book of Mark. We're in Matthew this morning, everybody. Doesn't feel good? Yeah. Book of Matthew. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 1. And here's what it tells us. It says, now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. 
Now, we know very little about Joseph. I mean, this is his main story right here. It's just half a chapter. We get from later on in the book of Matthew, chapter 13, verse 55, we find out that Joseph is a carpenter because they refer to Jesus as the carpenter's son. And there's debate among scholars of like what that would mean. It's probably not a carpenter like we think of today. Uh, chances are there wasn't a lot of trees in that area. So he's probably not working as much with like lumber or timber. He might be more working with stones and building houses out of that kind of thing. Or maybe it's just sort of fashioning and selling farm tools to people. We don't know. What we do know is it's just kind of a normal job, which is significant that God sends his son to a normal guy like Joseph. He doesn't send Jesus to a prince or a priest or some kind of philosopher or any of these things. He sends Jesus to a blue collar family, probably not well off, not aristocratic, just a normal family. And I think even through that, God is communicating something new. It's a message that Jesus would later pick up, this idea of the last shall be first. The meek, the, the low, the humble will be raised up. And so we see this with Joseph. It also points out that he was a just man. Some of your translations say that he, might, he was a righteous man, which is really interchangeable if we look at the original language. Just or righteous are both the same. But that right there puts Joseph in league with a very small number of people in the Bible, there's very few people that the word righteous is actually applied to. Noah is one of them. John the Baptist is one of them. And we hear that Joseph is a righteous man. But the way he's identified as righteous is just a little bit unexpected because it says because he was a righteous man, he decided to divorce Mary quietly. Which we're like, well, if he's righteous, he would believe Mary, right? Like if he is doing what is just, he would believe her, right? which is what we want. I mean, there must have been, there's sort of an insinuated conversation that we don't get to read in the account of Jesus's birth. But at some point, Mary had to go to Joseph and say, Joseph, I'm pregnant and you're never gonna believe this. And then tell the story of how an angel visited her. And man, what would Joseph have thought? And so in his shoes, I mean, in the history of history, babies were only ever made one way. And since Jesus, there's only been one way that babies are made. And so what is Joseph to think other than that Mary has been unfaithful? That before they came together as husband and wife, she had been with somebody else. Of course, that's what he thinks. And so by Jewish law, somebody who commits adultery, if we went way back into the Old Testament, Jewish law says that that person, um, not only is there a divorce, but there can even be penalty of execution for a man or a woman caught in adultery. It would mean death by stoning. And so when we read Joseph being a just, a righteous man, resolved to divorce her quietly, well, he's deciding to obey Jewish law by not coming together with Mary, by not now marrying Mary. But also, not only is he just and he's righteous, he's considerate towards Mary. He doesn't want her to have to face that public shame or worse, execution. Joseph may be hard-headed, but he is not hard-hearted. And so he decides to divorce her quietly. And so then we read in Matthew chapter 1, verse 20, it says, but as he considered these things, talk about an understatement, right? As he considered these things, as he personally had those feelings of, why wasn't I enough for Mary? Like, how could this happen? And why is she going to these weird links of like making up this story? Like, what is the deal there? 
As he's starting thinking, like, what are people going to say? It says, as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. It's his Christmas movie moment, isn't it? It's that moment where he's got a problem, he's trying to sort it out, and then here comes this magical, mystical creature to tell him the right thing to do. But here's what I love, is that as Joseph deals with all this, all this stress and anxiety, Joseph decides to take a nap, right? He said the angel appeared to him in a dream. Now this is where I really identify with Joseph because that is how I handle stress. That is how I deal with things. It is, man, like some people, they have trouble sleeping when they're stressed out about stuff. It's all I want to do. I just want to shut down. My wife has termed it a stress nap. Like when things are just overwhelming, I'm like, oh, I got to go lay down. And that's what Joseph does. As he, as he processes all this stuff, it says an angel visit him in a dream. As he was going through this idea of what will people say? I mean, even today, 2,000 years later, Joseph is still the butt of jokes. I saw several sort of on the internet this week. I brought some to share with you. Yeah. Even now, 2,000 years later, people are still laughing and not believing Joseph. And so Joseph, as he deals with this, man, what do I say to my parents? What is this conversation going to be like with Mary? I mean, I got to break the news to her. Like, as he is going through all this, he takes a nap and an angel visits him while he sleeps. And it says... The angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. This is Joseph's big Christmas movie moment. He's George Bailey on a bridge and here's the angel to show him what to do. He's the Grinch ready to steal Christmas and mess everything up for everybody. And then here comes Cindy Lou who's saying, oh no, there's a better way. And when I read this, I can't help but think, where's my angel? Because I've had stressful moments. I've had those suffocating decisions and, and things that I have to figure out, decisions that I have to make. I've had those times in life where future seems unclear and it doesn't seem like there is a right or a wrong or even a good path forward. Where is my angel? Where is my Clarence Oddbody to my George Bailey, right? Where's the, the Jacob Marley to my Ebenezer Scrooge? Where is the angel for me? Because I see this happening for Joseph and I can't help but think, I want that. I can't help but think, I want my Christmas movie moment that will ride out my path forward and make everything easy for me. And I know this might be a little bit of a selfish take, but I think it's a real take. If we really want to be honest with ourselves, and I know this because of my time in ministry, I've had many discussions with people along those same lines, students and adults alike, saying, I just want to hear God's voice. I just want to know that he's there. If he just show himself to me. I just want to know the right way forward. What should I do after high school? Should I go to this college or that college? I just something would tell me. I wish I had a burning bush. I wish I had that like voice or like a vision from the sky so I could know the way forward. I've had that conversation over and over and over again. So I know that there's some of us that might read this and be like, that's pretty easy for Joseph. He had it pretty good. Why can't I have it that way? Where's my angel? Where's my answer? But here's, here's what I see when we, when we read this story, is that that feeling right there, that feeling is not an unholy feeling. 
In fact, that desire for us to see God, to have God's direction, to know that he's there, to want to see the right way forward, that desire is not an unholy desire. In fact, if we went through the Bible, we would see person after person with that exact same desire for God's direction, to see God. If we go all the way back to the book of Job, one of the earliest books written in Scripture, we see Job, a man who has lost everything. I mean, George Bailey is nothing compared to Job because Job has lost it all. And as he sits there just in, in, in disease and in loss, he says this in Job 13, 3 and verse 22. He says, but I would speak to the Almighty and I desire to argue my case with God. Then call and I will answer or let me speak and you reply to me. This is a man's calling out to God saying, reveal yourself to me, show me. Why is this habit if I could only stand in front of him and talk with him? That's Job's feeling, and I I resonate with that feeling. Then we see Moses. Moses is tasked with leading an entire nation into a promised land and establishing not just like, you know, the, the path forward, but also the laws that God has led them to. And so on Mount Sinai, as Moses has received the Ten Commandments, he says to God this right here. He says, please show me your glory. He begs of God, let me see you. Let me see the one in whose name I'm supposed to carry all this out. Let me see the one who I'm following, who I'm telling other people to follow. Let me just see you. And then we also see it in Psalm 69 from David, the great King David. In a moment of distress, he said, hide not your face from your servant, for I'm distressed. Make haste to answer me. That feeling we have, that desire of seeing God, that desire of wanting to know his way, the way forward, it is not an unholy desire. It's something we see all throughout scripture. And I feel it and I suspect that you feel it. And so then sometimes when we get to a story like Joseph's, it's easy to say, where's my answer? How come he gets an angel? What do I get? Let's read the rest of the story. Pick it up in verse 22. It said, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. There it is. Did you catch that one moment, that last line? Emmanuel, God with us. This little snippet of that verse is quoting from Isaiah. It's Isaiah chapter seven, where this prophet years and years and years before the time of Joseph has talked about the coming of the Messiah and says those words that the virgin shall bear a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which may seem like a strange name because it means God with us. And the original people reading this, they probably are confused by it. They don't know what's happening, but we get to see what's happening. That baby that Mary carries, that's not just any baby, it is Emmanuel, God with us. And notice that it says God with us. Not God with them, not God with the religious, not God with the rich, not God with the righteous, but God with us. God with you, God with me, not just for Joseph and Mary, but all of humanity for all time. Now we have our answer, Emmanuel, God with us. It is so much better than any angel. 
It is so much better than any voice from a burning bush. We actually have God himself in the form of a baby, Emmanuel, God with us. Joseph's answer, his Christmas movie moment, is our answer. Our Christmas moment is the Christmas moment. Because the revelation of Jesus is the revelation of our creator to us. That same desire that we have to see God, God has that same desire to be with us. And we see that all throughout scripture. I mean, since day one, when Adam and Eve rebelled in the Garden of Eden, we've seen God pursuing humanity, revealing himself to humanity. We've seen him taking on the form of a, a pillar of fire in the desert to lead the Israelites. We've seen him coming up with a sacrificial system and a temple and tabernacle system so that he could be with them. But now we see when all of that stuff wasn't enough, when we as humans mess up all those plans, God finally said, all right, then I'm coming myself. And as a baby, our creator, God, joined us on the earth that he created. If you want to see God, if you want to seek God, we have him, God with us. If we look at the Christmas story, we're used to going to Matthew or the book of Luke, those early chapters in those two books. But we sometimes neglect that the Christmas story is also told in the book of John. In John chapter 1, we hear a story, but it doesn't involve wise men or a manger. It is the spiritual side of the story. What is actually happening spiritually when Jesus came as a baby? And here's what it says in John chapter 1. I want to read you verses 1 through 3 and then verse 14 also. It says, In the beginning was the Word, which sounds familiar to us, right? Like we're called back already to creation. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we've seen his glory, glory as the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. There's so much packed in to those few verses. But they're talking about the coming of Jesus and they identify him as the word saying in the beginning was the word. That's God, that's, that's Jesus. And as a Greek person might have read this, I mean, they're all, all hopped up on their like Greek philosophy and teaching and things. When they heard this word, word, which in the original Greek language would be logos, more things would come to their mind than just like word, right? They're thinking of the idea of, of wisdom. They're thinking of the idea of knowledge. They're thinking of the idea of like teaching. That's what they would have heard. So in the beginning was this knowledge, this spark of wisdom. And now it's saying that knowledge, that word became a human. To a, to a Jewish reader, they'd hear the word and they'd probably think of their most sacred words, the Torah, the law, the Old Testament. And so now it's saying in the beginning was the word, but now we have the word become flesh. That Old Testament law is now embodied. That Old Testament wisdom and prophecy is now all realized in the form of a baby. Emmanuel, God with us knowledge of our creator with us, the wisdom and the prophets with us. Joseph's Christmas moment is our Christmas moment. If you've been searching for God, Emmanuel, he's with us. If you found yourself in that dark night wondering, man, how am I gonna get through this feeling alone and isolated? Emmanuel, God with us. If you're looking for the way forward, look to Emmanuel, God with us. 
and know that it wasn't enough for him to stay distant. It wasn't enough for God to be speaking from a burning bush or to be in the form of a pillar of fire going through the desert. It wasn't enough for him to be realized through laws and sacrifices and tabernacle and temple. That wasn't enough for God. He needed to invade our space so that he could be with us. The Christmas story, the story of Emmanuel, is God's constant pursuit of you. And so sometimes we feel alone and sometimes we don't know the way forward but we are directed to Emmanuel, God with us. And here's what I love. Here's maybe the craziest part of this whole story is that that, even that, was not enough for God. God with us was still not enough for God. He offers us God within us. Because of that baby, Jesus, who lived a perfect life and then gave up his life on the cross on our behalf and then rose again from the dead, because of all that, we can now have the great counselor, the great helper, the Holy Spirit, the presence of God within us, not just with us, but within us. And Jesus spoke about this the night before he died in John chapter 14. He said, and I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Jesus was on the earth for a time. Now he's saying there's another that's gonna be with you always. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. Our promise, our answer, our Christmas moment is more than what even Joseph got. We don't get some angel coming and telling us a message. We get God himself in the flesh and his spirit within us. So that in those moments of darkness, those George Bailey on a bridge moments where everything feels hopeless, we have God within us. In those moments when we look at the world and things seem bitter and we just want to toss it all and say, man, Christmas is a big humbug. We've got God with us, God within us. When we're trying to make those decisions of, man, do I go this way or that way? Is this wrong? Is this right? We have God with us and God within us. And so my hope for us today, my hope for us this Christmas, is that as we sing the song that the band is starting up now, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, that that song is more than just a Christmas carol, more than just a familiar tune that we know and kind of hum through sometimes, but that that becomes our prayer, that that becomes our desire. And at the same time that it is a prayer, let it be the answer to our prayer. That as we fall on our knees in desperation saying, God, I want to see you. God, I want to know the way. God with us. Oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel. Let it be about more than just a baby. Let it be about that concept of God in humanity. God with us and God within us. So if you find yourself trying to figure out like, man, do I even trust this God thing. Is God even real? I wish he'd just show himself to me. He has. And he's offered himself to you in the form of a baby, but in the form of a man who died for you so that his spirit could be within you, could be guiding you. If you find yourself in that dark night, that moment of loneliness and isolation, know that you are not alone because of Emmanuel. God is with you and God is within you. So this Christmas, that is what we can rejoice in. That Emmanuel came. That we have a God who is not satisfied being distant from us, but wanted to be with us 
present and within us. So I invite you today in this Christmas season to rejoice because of Emmanuel.